1: Before we get started with this episode of Bench with Bubba, I want to tell you I am stoked to be collaborating with Rotoballer this 2020 season with the Bench with Bubba podcast joining the Rotoballer radio network. Since 2013, Rotoballer has been grinding away providing millions of fantasy baseball players their fix for in-depth MLB analysis and player news. If you haven't heard, Rotoballer 2020 MLB draft kit is live and all Bench with Bubba listeners can get 10% off Rotoballer's draft kit by using the discount code Bubba. Rotoballer is home to the number one Fantasy Pro's accuracy ranker, Nick Mariano. Nick's 2020 rankings and projections are available as part of Rotoballer's draft kit, along with printable cheat sheets, draft sleepers, and busts. More than 300 2020 player outlooks and tons of in-season tools. All this fantasy baseball goodness from Rotoballer is available for 10% off with a discount code BUBBA. Just go to rotoballer.com backslash BUBBA and get your draft kit today. They have tons of great stuff, and you get premium with promo code Bubba, DFS, all the goodies. Use promo code Bubba, sign up at Rollerballer, get an extra 10% off with promo code Bubba. Now to tonight's episode of Bench with Bubba. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 292. We've got a returning guest coming to the show. We're going to talk some of his recent work over at rotoballer.com, some work on some pitching, uh, maybe standouts, not standouts, depends on how you look at things, glass half full, glass half empty, who knows. Um, some first 50 game stats, some pitchers from the National League facing the DH, just some fun conversation in general. You can find him on Twitter at notburtreynolds, NT underscore Burt Reynolds. Nicholas Gott, how we doing, man?
2: I'm doing great, Bubba. Thanks for having
1: me on. No problem. Thanks for coming back on the show to chat it up a bit. It's always uh, fun getting to catch up with you outside the uh, the Twitter streets. So that's uh, yeah. always good stuff. Uh, before we get started, I kind of mentioned Roto Baller and whatnot, but let everybody know what you got going on because it's way more than just
2: a few articles and whatnot. Uh, yeah. So uh, I, I do a majority of my work at at Roto Baller. Uh, I also do Dynasty work on Pitcher List. Um, that, you know everyone's familiar with especially after the uh, amazing pitchcon that just definitely would, just wrapped up, which was fantastic uh yeah right now i uh, my last few articles have been on an uh you know an e r a lie detector series that just kind of seeing the over, the e r a overachievers and underachievers by w- using a starting point of their sierra scores just to see the biggest gaps and then kind of go from there. And then after that, I, I'll i have – I have one more of those. Three of those are out. I have one more coming down the pipe. And then I have a couple of things on kind of the general effect of what a universal DH might, might look like uh, as far as how it would affect different pitchers.
1: Yeah, I'm looking forward to that. That's
2: kind of like got us talking the other day. And
1: uh, I obviously look at all the work over at Roto Baller, but uh, seeing – that little series you have going on it will be fun to, to chat about some names there because it's always interesting. We talk about it many times on this show. You talk about it with stuff you do. Is There's so many different ways to analyze players. There's so many ways to go about fantasy baseball. that That's one reason why I, I always have different guests on is it's fun to get their opinions on it, the work they do, the reason they have the, the beliefs they have, because that's one way to definitely do it. So it'll be interesting because it's some uh, more important names than you think. People Names people like a lot. In the pitching world so it's gonna be fun to get your thoughts on that before we get to that though we have one bit of news that we have to talk about it's not great news which most baseball news these days isn't great but um chris archer done for the season which really stinks because there was high hopes coming into the year that he was going to change his pitch mix that he was going back to the tampa bay days things were looking great but he had a uh quite the uh the the surgery uh the matt harvey surgery a surgery that many people have not bounced back from, do you have any thoughts on Chris Archer? Cause there's a good chance he'll be a free agent next year.
2: Yeah. Uh, he will be a free agent yes. next year. And <laughs> I think, I think the pirates have like a $12 million option on him that they can buy out for a quarter million dollars. Yep. So I can't imagine they will be picking that up. Uh, yeah. I, I've, I've, I've made a lot of jokes at Chris Archer's expense over the year, years. Uh, so I wasn't very high on him this year. I, I thought there was going to be some bounce back, but a lot of my interest in him was just because his ADP is ridiculously low, uh, given what kind of upside he has, and even when he's bad, he strikes out a lot of people. So there was that, but uh, yeah, and you know the the exit of race series in Pittsburgh Pirates uh, for the Pirates had a lot of people excited that you know maybe Arch would stop being stubborn with his pits mix and uh, change things up a little bit but with the with the thoracic outlet syndrome surgery he's 31 years old he's not going to pitch until 2021 with who knows which team he i i don't I don't know if we're ever going to see a, a a good version of Archer again and he just came off a year with uh over 5 ERA and just it's he's he's one he's just you know that's how that's how the baseball game goes it's there's a lot of guys that have tantalizing talent that over and over don't quite live up to that talent and uh archers one of those guys and we just haven't seen uh, a good archer for a while and i really think his lasting legacy now is going to be that he got traded for uh you know the great trade escape that the rays made getting glass now in meadows for him uh for essentially nothing so yeah that's uh I think that's probably his legacy going forward.
1: Yeah, it sucks. And and, and the, the crazy part is it's not just Glass now and Meadows. Shane Baz will be up soon, and that's just going to make it even yeah. worse. And even <laughs> yeah, even bigger. about Baz. Yeah,
2: he's the worst one in that trade, and he's uh, uh, yeah. kind of electric.
1: Yeah, he's kind of like he, – he, he's not even like player to be named later. He's like a, still like a top 10 to 15 prospect that got dealt in the deal to just top it off. Yeah. So, it, it's wild. Um, I know Matty Wood uh, on Twitter was giving me a hard time. He's like, oh, yeah, it's perfect. He'll uh, you know take the $250,000. He'll be a free agent. He'll go sign with the Dodgers and resurrect his career. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, that's a typical Dodger fan telling me that. I get it. <laughs> but what I would the love Rays to see. Rays will
2: probably get him back.
1: <laughs> that, that's, what I, that's what I would love to see. I told him I'd rather <laughs> see the Rays get him back and then bring him back to the old Archer, like the way they kind of resurrected Morton a little bit and stuff. And that mm-hmm. would be just amazing to just really put the salt in the wound of Pittsburgh. It would, it'd be something special. But yeah, uh, don't love trade with the, the Rays,
2: like everyone. Just, just don't, don't trade with them. Like they, they yeah. know something that you do not know. Uh, Don't, don't trade with them. They're, they're going to get over on you. As a St. Louis, you know, living in St. Louis, <laughs> I know this all too well. Like, don't trade with the Rays. They're, they're getting over on you.
1: Yeah, the Rays and the Astros. As much as people might want to hate the yeah. Astros, it's, it's one of those things. They have a just enormous wealth of talent. And if they're trading them, they know something you don't know. It's yep. that simple. Um, if they're picking that name out of the hat, there's a reason why. So just be very careful there. Yeah, um, there's
2: some fatal flaw that is hidden somewhere, and it won't come out until they come to your team. Yeah, no doubt
1: about it. Uh let's talk let's talk about your series here. So we got three parts already out. You mentioned the fourth part's coming out soon. ERA lie detector finding 2019 overachievers with Sierra. Um first off, before we get into the players, just for people wondering, because it's been a fun debate. I've had different guys break it down with different stats on here and why they do this, why they do that. You know, FIP, XFIP, Sierra, there's all these different indicators. What is it that makes you like Sierra? Uh
2: it is so I, I, I'm a I'm a I'm a big fan of you know using all the tools in the tool belt, and I, I will I'll look at a lot of stats. I'll usually start with Sierra, just because and you know it is uh, you know FIP is FIP correlates very well to in season value, and you know tells you how much of that ERA from that year, uh, how much of it was you know true as it were. And then XFIP and Sierra do a better job. Well, you know, they're not technically forward-looking projections. They're backward-looking evaluators. But they do the best job of if you want to make guesses about their ERA next year. And it's, it's, it's not airtight by any means. Like you can't just take someone's Sierra and plug it in for their ERA next year. But it speaks to the underlying skills more of a pitcher uh, going forward and how it contributed to their success or lack of success that year. Uh, Slightly more predictive than XFIP. Uh, They look at different things. They, you know, they, they, they mostly move in lockstep. There are going to be some differences though, but that's, that's another, uh, another reason to use multiple tools. It's, you know, if you see someone that Sierra likes a lot more than XFIP or vice versa, that gives you a starting point on, what about this pitcher's skills uh, are, are, are picking up that number? And what Sierra does is uh, it's going to look mostly at K rate, walk rate, ground ball rate, and to a lesser extent, fly ball rate. And what it does differently than FIP and XFIP is that it weights those statistics uh, a little bit more it gives more credit to the high K pitcher. It gives more credit to the low walk pitcher. Uh, and same, uh, you know, more credit to higher ground balls. So it's just, it it's the interaction uh, of those three, but it's also just kind of understanding why to strikeouts, uh, high strikeout pitchers tend to allow uh, less good They, you know, they, they, it counts for the snowball effect more of like walks is a really, a really good one. Like it doesn't, more walks don't hurt a low walk pitcher as much as a high walk pitcher because the pitcher is less likely. If you, if you have a low walk percentage, you're less likely to have players on base when you do allow a walk. And you're also less likely to allow another walk if you do walk someone therefore less people on base less of them will come around to score and conversely you know a guy that allows a lot of walks like every subsequent, you know he's more likely to walk the next batter and more likely for them to come around and score so I I like that weighting that it gives and just it it gives a I think a little better clear picture of the total package of a pitcher's skills but it's a jumping off point like it's a it's one of those things that you know. I see a big gap between a uh, Sierra and an ERA, and I just I want to know why, and that uh, that just gets me going. And then I end up writing a thousand words on <laughs> a guy.
1: Yeah, and that's what brings us to this whole topic is uh, the difference in your ERA and Sierra. And you got uh, the top twenty-five pitcher ADPs in this article, and and you do the differences between ERA and Sierra. You get the K's, the walk percentages, the ground ball percentages, things you. We're just mentioning there that could uh, have an impact on said stats. Um, So you wrote about some guys, and and I really like the names you picked. I kind of hinted at that earlier because I'm not saying, like, everyone's in love with Zach Ranky, But there's a lot of people that really like Zach Ranky as this guy they think is going to be Mr. Reliable, low ERA, not going to crush you, put up any accumulator type guy that um, gets you going. Like you, you mentioned in 2019, he was this SP4 uh twenty four overall that's a heck of a season a phenomenal season but uh is that like realistic probably not but where he's going in n f p c according to this uh at this point in time was pick sixty three what is it you saw with uh zach granke that tells you that two nine three era with the three nine six sierra is something to maybe keep an eye on
2: well well for one it's you know he you know this is his best year by far since two thousand fifteen and uh, you know, he had a career low walk rate, uh, but his strikeout rate is you know middling. It was twenty three percent. It was twenty three percent the year before. Uh, you know, he had a a big bump in two thousand and seventeen of almost twenty seven percent, but the years before that, it was twenty percent, twenty three percent, and it is you know, and that's kind of a theme with a lot of these guys that I wrote about is that it's it's really hard to provide consistent value fantasy like total fantasy value when you run a you know par to below par strikeout rate and a lot of grinky's value was wrapped up in his 18 wins and his 293 era and i i don't think that you know you look at his evaluators from years past and the the 293 ERA is kind of it's it's a big gap between a 396 Sierra and it had he had a 374 XFit. You look at 2018; they're more like they're a little bit closer. He had a 321 ERA at a 344 XFit, a 360 Sierra. Uh, you know, he still outperformed those evaluators, but it's a little bit closer. And the year before that, it was a little bit closer. And his Sierra just keeps creeping up, and his ERA was creeping up until last year and you know i if zach greenke has you know i i I put in the article that you know with his k rate and his you know projected wins by you know most of the popular systems and his kind of substandard k rate he feels a lot more like eduardo rodriguez uh than a you know top 50 top 60 pick and that I mean, his ADP is you know sixty eight, but I don't know about you, but especially since uh, the pandemic began and pitchers have went even higher. Like I have seen Zach Greinke go really, really early, and he is like I, I have him ranked pretty low on Roto or Like I have a aggressive ranking, as it were, uh, past pick one hundred, but I I think it's more likely that he lands in the like. Overall, like 80th, 90th value, but he's 36 years old, and he, you know, his fastball tops out at you know 89, 90, and he just finished putting up his lowest home run per nine and lowest uh, home run fly ball percent of his career in you know the biggest offensive year of the season. Uh, I I still like him for a lot of wins. Uh, the ratios I, I think will be okay. I just, I'm not counting on them to be great again. And if they're not great again, and he puts up the same like 23% K rate that we're probably going to get. And if he even takes a little dip and wins, then suddenly his value sinks greatly. And with, you know, with the age, with the uh, velocity uh, it's just, he, he, I'm not saying he's going to fall off a cliff. I actually really like Grinky. I I love crafty pitchers. Uh, and just as a baseball thinker, I I really like Grinky. I I always have. But one of these years, that that's it's the the 89 mile per hour heater is going to catch up to him, and I don't I don't want to be the one left holding the bag. And I'm not saying that's going to be this year, but I think there's a better chance than usual that it is.
1: Yeah, that's the hard part with him because I'm with you. I've I've grown to light Granky for craftiness, the just reliability, like the ratios, things along those lines that can make you take gambles elsewhere. But the age racking up, you you know, you even showed his year by years, and they were kind of going in the right direction than he has last year. The last time he outperformed his Sierra Fips X Fips as much like this was 2015. He went from a 1.6 ERA to a 4 3 2016 i'm not saying it's gonna jump like that but you know what i'm saying like there's a, a big room for for questions there i, I do like what he's doing i get a couple if i gotta play devil's advocate somewhat i like the fact that he's with the the astros i think that's gonna help a ton i also like the fact if they do the three divisions and he's stuck in the west that's a tremendous boost so mm-hmm. that can make things interesting and obviously when you're writing about your article you're not factoring those in because you shouldn't be factoring those in But that would be one argument I could see going, okay, I could see in a shortened season where blowups could hurt you more. Granky in the West facing those teams could be worth a little bit. Now, is he worth ADP where he's 61 since April 1st in an FBC? I don't know. That's where it gets interesting. Like, Nick, for you, uh, going right before Granky's Tyler Glass now, would you rather have Granky or Glass now? Glass now. Okay. So then, right, what about Granky or Nola? ooh Noah's
2: going that, five picks earlier the, uh, that is I, I'm still taking Noah, but I am betting more on the upside of of Nola, but i I don't think I have any shares of Nola. I don't think I plan on having any uh i think he he's a he's an extreme guy. I think yep. the range of his results this year uh could be extreme, and like you said i grinky there's a certain level of comfort in the fact that he is going to pitch a lot of innings. He is going to go deep into games and playing with what's presumed to be one of baseball's best offenses. He's going to be in line for a lot of wins you would think. So even if the ERA does rise, the, the wins can, can help balance that out some. So, uh, yeah, I'd still take Nola, but I I don't, I don't really like either one of those.
1: Yeah, like in reality we know two nine three is not happening, but if we can get like a three four or three five, you're still pretty happy. Um the bat has them for three eighty eight, ATC three seven, eight ERA's, uh steamer though four two six. So they're all they're all expecting quite a hike. Uh the last uh would you rather we went two guys over him. We'll go below him now. Zach Granke at sixty one or barrios at seventy four.
2: Oh Zach Greinke, because I'm a known Barrios <laughs> hater. <So. laughs> uh, all right, let's I'll go. Let's Greenke. go with a little.
1: Let's go with a little more upside here. Granky <laughs> at Granky at 61
2: or Woodruff at 77. Oh Woodruff. Uh, yeah, yeah, I figured, I figured I'm a, you were I'm going a big there. Woodruff guy too. So yeah, that that's an easy one for me.
1: All right, let's move on to the next guy that you have here, and this is another fun one because Sonny Gray had a tremendous season in Cincinnati. We know the stories. In New York, you know, Saris wrote about him greatly, the slider issues, all that stuff. Goes to Cincinnati, they bring in his former pitching coach, he finds a new groove. There's lots of things you can look at in his stats and kind of, you know, his X stats and all these things that kind of make you think, maybe not, but at the same time, he was pretty darn good. But like you did when you broke down his Sierra and all these other stats, it kind of makes you scratch your head a little bit. So what you got on Sunny uh, Sonny Gray.
2: Yeah, re- really interesting case. Uh, that the the Saris article that you mentioned that Eno wrote last spring is really really good, and it's very enlightening about just you know he had a four nine ERA with the Yankees and just numerous clashes. Uh, they did not care for each other very much, and the the, the Sarris interview is very enlightening. Like they they were wanting him to throw his slider like Tanaka they wanted him to throw it in the zone to get swings and misses but also to get strikes and uh to his credit gray gray was pretty forthcoming he's like i i can't control my slider very well my slider is the best when it's a big sweeper out of the zone and you know, i put some heat maps in my article and it's really easy to see uh you know his slider you know sitting in the zone while he's with the yankees and it's a completely different pitch mm-hmm. Uh, when he's with the Reds and it was the slider but it was also his curveball he talked about how you know even going back to college his college coach kind of put the kibosh on the slider for a while because it the way he was throwing it was affecting the shape of his curveball and making it a lot worse and you know you see the same difference between his tenure, you know, short tenure with the Yankees and then going to the Reds last year. Uh, he, I, I I like, you know, he made a giant jump in K rate. He went from, a, you know, he, the highest he had had before last year was a 22.6% K rate. He ended up, you know, near 30% with the Reds. Uh, and really my problem with Gray is his price uh, you know, he's, he's got a, a 98 ADP and I, I, I think he could, I, I think he could return that value. Uh, I think he was the, he ended up, you know, going by the Fangraphs auction calculator. I think he ended up player 69 on, uh, in last year, but that was, that was like the best version of gray we had seen with, uh, you know, a, a 29% K rate and a two eight, seven ERA. And he still just, you know, just snuck in the top 70. And if, if I'm in a draft and he slips to like, you know, 110, 120, like, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I've been attacking pitchers anyway in drafts. And if he, if he drops like that, then yeah, he'll end up on my teams. It's just, it seems like if you're drafting him there, you're betting for the best case scenario again, and I'm I'm not going to bet on that. I don't think.
1: Yeah, his price tag is quite interesting. Even if he, you know, you look at the, the bat streamer, uh, all of them, they're, he's going to drop a little bit, but still, he's still in like the high three ERAs, which you can handle in, in the live ball era. You can handle that because I'm under the impression that there'll probably be a bouncy ball again this year. Keep the eyes on the TV, whatever it comes yeah. back. So I, I could see that foreshadowing happening again. Um, he's going around pick ninety five ish uh currently in n f b c so that's like thirty five picks almost after granky would you rather gray or granky
2: i uh that's they are very even a lot of that would probably be dependent on the pitchers i had had before just like i i do think mm-hmm. that grinky is a bit safer but for the upside i'd probably take gray yeah. uh just i like i said i like uh no i don't know if he's gonna have a 29 percent k rate again uh i think the you know the projection systems you mentioned i think they all have him for around a 25 percent. so they believe in part of the change from last year uh you know they're not knocking him back down to the 21 22 percent he was running before uh so yeah i'll i i I would rather take the upside of him over Grinky. I I know what I'm getting with Grinky. Like I'm, mm-hmm. I and it, and if I don't get a bunch of wins from him then I'm I think I'm getting a a very poor return on my money if I get Grinky.
1: That's very true. Uh I I know you like upside so Sonny Gray at 95 or Lizardo at 88.
2: Lizardo. Yeah, uh, so you're, you're I, on the I, train. Yeah, it's like I Lazardo's another guy that I just I haven't cared much for his his ever rising price. I liked him a lot more in December and January than I do now, and it's just it seems like drafts, you know, for the past few months, it's with a heavier emphasis on pitching. Uh, he, he's just there's always someone in your draft that's that's gonna want themselves some yep. Lazardo. and yep, I'll, I, I'll never have him. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm pretty positive I don't have any of him uh, that it's just I I get I love the stuff I love the long, like dynasty Lazardo. oh yeah all day but a a rookie pitcher in a bizarro year pitching for the bizarro A's that's a lot of weight to put on you know that high of a pick and there's just a lot of so a lot of things that can go wrong there. Yeah,
1: that's a lot of bizarro. So it's <laughs> tough to tough to figure out there. The last one, another guy with the upside, another member of the A's. You got Sonny Gray at ninety five. You got Frankie Montas at ninety nine. And this is where you kind of realize I mentioned Lazardo. I mentioned Montas. You got some closers around
2: him. That's why it's tough to take Gray right here, right? Oh yeah, I'm taking Montas. Yeah. I I I really I I like I like Montas a lot. They. Uh, his the addition and the addition of the split finger is has turned him into a devastating pitcher and mm-hmm. you know there's worry of course you like yeah he got suspended he 80 game suspension for PEDs like he only had you know i think 96 innings last year but like the PEDs didn't give him a good splitter like the splitter gave him a good splitter yep. and you know he's got high 90s he already had a nasty slider that he throws like 87 and 90 and now he's got that splitty that he also throws about 87 it tunnels incredibly well to left-handers and right-handers uh i put some of those some of those pitch tracking maps in when i wrote about him and it's you and also some pitch overlays from pitch ninja pitching ninja and you see how hard it must be to face him because you look at the decision point, you know, he throws a four seam, a two seam, and then the slider and the split finger. And at the decision point, you know, the the path of the ball where, you know, pitchers ha- or hitters have to decide, those guys are all right in line. And you, you either first you have to decide whether or not you're getting one of the breaking pitches or you're getting high 90s heat that's tough enough already that, you know, they have a 13 mile, you know, 12, 13 mile or spread between them. And then even, you know, if you decide that it's not, not the fastball, then you have to decide if it's going to be the slider diving out, diving out or the split finger going straight down. And they are just three pitches that work really, really well together. And I, yeah, I, I, I think this is likely the last year you can get a good price on Montes. So yeah, uh he, he's another guy, unfortunately. There's often gonna be a person in like you need to commit to Montes early. You can't mm-hmm. you can't wait on him because there's probably someone in your draft that has the same thinking that you do. So yep. you might have to pay higher than his draft price, but I, I think the the upside is uh really, really high.
1: Yeah, big Montas fan. I echo everything you said. That splitter changed everything it was tremendous and with the way we're gonna see pitching move up once we get a season montas's adp is going to skyrocket so that'll be a fun one to keep an eye on the last guy you have here in this part one of your article fun name fun name because uh rob silver's been talking a lot about him when it comes to dhs but uh this is something you know 2-6 era for mike soroka last year with a 4-2-8
2: sierra kind of a big difference uh what is it you saw with mike soroka Oh man, poor Mike Soroka. It seems like every time I talk in a podcast or write an article about about not <laughs> believing in something, poor Mike Soroka comes to the forefront. Uh yeah, and he it's he is a nut, it's you know, going back to what we talked about Grinky, it is really hard when you have a substandard K rate to uh you know, to keep up your value if you don't keep everything else in line. And he's got barely a 20% K rate. And the, you know, he mostly throws, you know, his main pitch, he's got a really good two seam. It has like a 64% ground ball rate. He survives on that. He doesn't have a lot of swing and miss pitches. Uh, And, you know, looking at, I was, you know, in the article I posted a, from Alex Chamberlain's uh, Pitts leaderboard, he he collates a lot of Statcast data, and it's amazing. And it, he also gives you options to do some rolling graphs on things. And I put up the one of his, you know, his WOBA against against the two seam, and it's just a uh, a constant little climb up as the season goes on. And there, you know, he's he had the year; he survived on, the, you know, he got all of his fantasy earnings you know basically with the era nothing out of strikeouts and you dig even a little more into in into like his his game by game stats he was really good against really bad teams uh he had a 1-3-0 era and nine starts against miami detroit san diego san francisco and cincinnati who were all bottom five offenses uh don't have it written down here, but I think off the top of my head, I think all his other starts, he had like a 4-1 ERA. Uh, you know, hey, that's what pitchers do. You make hay yep. against, you know, when you can, against the bad teams. But a 20.3% K rate, only Jeff Samarja, John Means, and Mike Fires had a lower one out of the top 60 pitchers. Woof. Uh, and only Aaron Savale, Dakota Hudson, and Zach Davies had a bigger gap between their ERA and Sierra, like this is warning flag after warning flag <laughs> after warning flag, and you know you mentioned Rob Silver talking about the K's, and uh, that's I, I, I was I was in on that too, and that's he's he got a lot of those strikeouts against pitchers, so his his K rate was already really poor, and if you take out if you take out the pitcher strikeouts, his his K rate drops to like, I think like 17.3% or something. Wow. And if, wow. if, <laughs> if you're going to strike out 17% of people, like you better have a shiny ERA and you mm-hmm. better get a whole mess of wins or you're going to be a disaster. And I I mean, you know, he pitches deep in the game. Uh, you know, he did a good job at that. He, I, he averaged six innings per start, which was uh, the 24th highest out of, you know, qualified starters, not bad. Uh, and the Atlanta Braves are expected to have a really good offense. So I'm sure he'll be in line with his fair share of wins, but every indicator points to that ERA jumping way up. And unless he has some secret strikeout pitch in his pocket, like, you know, he's stolen Frankie Montes's splitter, or he has something that's going to jump that K rate, I find it very hard to believe that he's going to return his value.
1: Yeah, that strikeout rate resembles the KBO, it sounds like. So that's that's not good. Not good <laughs> at all. Lots of contact. Um, when he can become a two-true outcome pitcher, that's not good. So Yeah, not great. No, like, so he played a lot of smoke and mirrors there. Like you said, he did what you're supposed to do as a pitcher. That's part of the deal. When he's 22 years old. He could definitely change things. That's possible. But uh, it's a bit risky where he's going. He's going right behind Frankie Montas. He's going around a guy like Corey Kluber. I might just pass on both. Uh, so it's a interesting spot in the draft. He's going, right? I just kind of overlook Soroka and I just move on. Like, I, I'd rather have his teammate Max Freed. That's oh, where, yeah. that's where I live in life. Like I, I, I couldn't understand it. I think I think most of the world now is on, on team Max Freed. I think I'm pretty confident on that. But, you know, back so. in like January, February, it was more Soroka than Freed World. It was very interesting. So I think that has definitely shifted, though. Um Let's go to your second article on this, and you use ERA and Sierra again, but this is more like a glass half full situation where we talk about uh, pitchers in the, uh, in the top you know, thir- uh, 300, but you talk about 20 of them or so in this chart you have here who had a, a lower Sierra than ERA, so positive in the other direction, chance to maybe buy low or get a rebound or all these little things. And one of them is our Twitch man himself who uh, – you don't want the Rona, boys. You don't want the Rona, and that is Blake Snell. Who uh, he's coming off of an injury riddled season after a Cy Young season? We know the stuff is good, but um, it was definitely a very up and down year last year in 2020. What did you look at going at with Snell that got your attention to we need to buy back in on this guy?
2: Yeah, so you know, like you said, this was this was one of those really good instances of the the gap between Sierra and ERA just served as a great jumping point to you know take a closer eye of was Blake Snell really that bad and I came away from it thinking that he was not that as bad as we thought he was I think he was hurt and he you know he goes he has elbow surgery in late July uh missed the rest of the season comes back at the end pitches out of the bull, you know a couple innings here and there out of the bullpen uh but if you look at you know he didn't go go under a knife until late July, but just looking at the numbers, it seems very very clear that he was hurt in May and hurt towards the yep. end of may uh he you know you look at his total total games uh, you know earned runs per game he had four you know he had twenty starts fourteen of them he gave up uh zero to two earned runs uh he gave up one earn or three earned runs twice didn't give up four earned runs. He gave up five or more earned runs in five starts. And you dig a little deeper and you see that uh, Blake Snell had a really, really bad June. Uh, 25 earned runs in 23 innings, six starts, a 9.64 ERA. And so it's like, okay, uh, he was hurt in July. He was horrible in June. He was really, really good in April and May. Uh, He had a... Higher, you know, his K rate was up by a couple points from the year, you know, the year before, when he won the Cy Young, and his ratios were up, but that's that's because he had a ridiculous ERA in in 2018 that uh, he probably didn't deserve quite all of it, you know, looking at the his ERA evaluators, and you dig a little bit more, and you see that he dramatically changed his pits mix after May. He went from so you need know, his 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 main uh, his main breaking ball against right-handers is a curveball. Uh, you know, in April and May, he threw it thirty-one percent at a time, one sixty-one average against it, a forty-nine point three percent K rate, and then magically in June and July, it dropped to a twenty-point eight percent usage. The slider is his main pitch against left-handed batters. 39% in April and May it had a 0% average, a 36.4% K rate. It drops 15 points to 25.4 usage in June and July. And his fastball rates to both sides of the plate jumped way up. Right-handers went from 40% to 55%. Left-handers, it went from 41 to 58%. Why? Why would Blake Snell former Cy Young winner pitching on one of the most data-driven teams in baseball who is destroying right handers and left handers with his curve and slider suddenly dropped their usage rates even though they have been killing and switched to more fastballs at the same time got to, his got to be an injury are we ticking down <laughs> like that is just the that's the that that's the, the the trifecta of hey this guy's been pitching hurt and you know he had You know, the surgery was to remove loose bodies, uh, you know, the very generic surgery. But I think it's pretty clear that he was hurting for a long time before July 21st when he had the surgery. And just going by how much he changed his pitch, his pitch mix, you know, moving from, you know, the curve and sliders that are going to put more stress on an elbow to more fastballs and getting much worse results, but still sticking with the pitch mix. Like, that tells me that the guy was just pitching hurt. And the the numbers from April and May tell me he was kind of the same pitcher he was in 2018, but had a better K rate. So it's just, it it's one of those things that just kind of seems obvious to me that, you know, pitchers don't always tell you when they're hurt. And uh, he was pitching through some things. And so I kind of... I, I kind of throw that June and July performance out the window because, like, you know, Blake Snell's not going to give up. You know, twenty-five earned runs in twenty-three innings is is kind of ridiculous.
1: Yeah, looking at the the charts and the stats you mentioned, but looking at them on your article, it's like a big eye opener. Like, oh my! Like this wasn't just like a minor pitch mix change. He literally, like, you see the different <laughs> rolling graphs. You see the the heat maps and everything of where he's locating pitches. It's quite the um, the change, and there's only one thing that should signal that kind of change. Like you said, it's an injury, and then he went and had surgery in July, so he probably pitched through it like a while, like you said, and it definitely shows in the stats and all the other good stuff. So that's a very interesting find, a very good find, a very strong find that I have not dug too deep into outside of uh, perusing the article before, but listening to you break it down and look at it some more, it's very very eye-opening. Um, do you have any concerns with this shoulder injury that he was kind of battling in spring?
2: Uh, Yeah. That's like my, that's, that's my one worry with Snell. Uh, You know, we heard it, you know, post pandemic stuff, you know, post spring training shutdown, you know, at first the news came out that, you know, Blake Snell was throwing three times a week and he was doing fine. And that's great. And then a couple weeks ago, we hear that he's not throwing right now. and, I don't trust any injury news that is coming out from you know the little injury news we get from people. Uh, Mm -hmm. I I'll take the good news like so and so is pitching regularly, so and so is fine. I don't don't like the radio silence on guys, and so that that's that's my one concern with him is I think he is a high risk play, uh, not in performance necessarily, but just in Will he have, you know, in a shortened season, will he have a, you know, quote, season-engine injury because he he goes out for 10 weeks or whatever? And yeah, so he- that's my worry.
1: He concerns me a bit because, yeah, I like, I wanted to buy back in. A lot of people wanted to buy back in. He gets hurt. His, his ADP drops a bit. It's been on the climb back towards the end with some of this good news. But it's like you say, you you hear Griffin and you hear Shohei Otani these other guys are, are throwing bullpens They're throwing off the mound. We're seeing footage guys hitting or bouncing back like Eugenio Suarez and some of these other guys with Blake Snell. We see him on Twitch. He, he talks about how he's preparing for next season. And then he slips up and goes, well, I, I'm still getting ready for this season, but it's like, you almost want to say, wouldn't you have led with AM ready for this season if we're going to play it? So that kind of concerned me a little bit. Like, are you throwing? Yeah. Are you not throwing? Like, what are you doing here, dude? Like, I know you're not going to be able to go through 100 pitches tomorrow, but are you staying loose? Are you keeping the, the bullets in the gun ready to go? Like, what are you doing here? So that's kind of an, an interesting way to look at it. But uh, he's got that massive upside if he's healthy, but there is a risk. So when you're looking at coming into these drafts here, uh, going right before him is Luis Castillo. Do you go Castillo or Snow?
2: Snell, uh, yeah. Sneller,
1: Snell. Sneller, Snell or Kershaw? Snell. Sneller, or Clevenger?
2: Oh, man. I think I'm going to go Snell, but this is really close. Like, even just, you know, in a vacuum without any injury concerns, I had them really close anyway. And, you know, even though, you know, Clevenger didn't have the injury, you know, the late injury anyway that Snell did, but he had that early one and that followed a, you know, a big velocity boost. And I I I worry about him as well. Probably not as much as Snell on the injury front, but I like Snell's upside a little more, particularly in the winds.
1: That's like seventeen picks apart, so that's a big jump. That's another round in the Fifteen teamer Snell or Bieber,
2: man. I think I've come around on. I think I've so come around am I. on Bieber. I'm coming around on Bieber too. It's crazy. It's <laughs> man. Ridiculous. It's taken a while, but yep. yeah, I think I will take Bieber because if if there wasn't an injury concern with Snell, I, I would I would take him. But man, Bieber, he's got some. He's got some sweet control, and he's proven that he can pitch a lot of innings. And I like the way Cleveland develops their pitchers anyway, mm-hmm. and I I think Bieber has a very safe floor. So yeah, I'll go Bieber.
1: Last one for you. Those guys were all going ahead of him, going six picks behind him. Would you rather have Snell or
2: Lucas Giolito? Uh, S- hmm. Snell. <laughs> I think that's mostly just because I'm not a GOE. I'm not a. Uh, I am a G. uh I'm yeah. really glad that he was so good last year because he used to bum me out all the crap that he took for like, a, you know, the, the busted prospects. I'm really happy that he, he turned his career around in a hurry. Uh, yeah, I'll take, I'll take Snell, but with Snell, I'm, I'm, I'm drafting him and I'm, I'm keeping my fingers crossed. Cause if, if he is, uh, if, if he is, on the field for every, every game, uh, you know, makes one of his starts then performance. I'll definitely take Snell, but I'll, I guess I'll eat the risk of, you know, getting the dreaded bottom line of Blake Snell to undergo Tommy John surgery.
1: So (laughs) definitely a possibility. Um, the next guy you had up here is a guy that I'm trying to draft everywhere, but watching his ADP since like January, everyone is trying to draft you Darvish everywhere. Um, it started out people not believing that his second half run was as good as it was, which was just insane, like not walking anybody and striking out people. Look, looks like the you, Darvish, we grew and loved for a while. And I, I believed because he made changes. He made the pitch mix changes. There, He, he flat out said he didn't feel right. He, he looked at some things and he tweaked some things and he feels good again. And boom, he just went on this tear. And there's a lot to be said about that. Uh, obviously, you did the actual work on that to, to enunciate it and talk about it better. But I'm a big believer in Darvish. What is it you found to
2: potentially be a believer in Darvish? Oh, man. You you, you mentioned it. Like I, I think people know he had a good second half. I don't think they understand how good of a second half he had. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a 5 ERA in the first half, 276 in the second half. Okay, fine. Uh, a 26% K rate in the first half, a 37.8% K rate. In the second half, you can even excuse that away and say, You, Darvis, has pitches like he can go on crazy strikeout runs. But he had an 11.7% walk rate in the first half and a 2.2% walk rate in the second half, with for a 35.6% you know, K minus walk. That is insane. That is the best, that half is the best version of Darvis we've ever seen. It has all the strikeout love that we've always seen out of him. But that walk rate is ridiculous. He, you know, he's he's a, you know, his, his first couple of years he came over, he was like a 9%, 10% guy. But he's kind of settled into a 7 to 8% guy over these past few years. And so putting up those numbers was, you know, very eye especially when you compare, like, you know, talking about is, you know, 35.6% K minus walk rate. That was third in the second half. First was Garrett Cole. Second was Verlander. Third was Darvis. Fourth was Giolito, but it was also like seven points behind Darvis. Like there was a clear, clear tier of guys there. And and fifth was, uh, you know, Jacob deGrom. Uh, so, so we also had, you know, the much better Sierra that he had us, you know, we looked at the difference between ERA and Sierra for the entire year, but looking at just the second half, he had a two, seven, six ERA, but a two, four, five Sierra and a two, three, seven X and a two, eight, three fit. Still very, very good. (laughs) Yeah. That two, seven, six ERA was for real. And, you know, you you look at that and, you know, once again, a starting point just to kind of see how sustainable it is. And he really focused down on his pitch mix in the second half, and he also kind of—that's what I got into—is just that all—all all his pitches were uh, he was allowing fewer walks on all, all of them. Like he didn't just—he didn't just lean on you know his you know he increased his cutter usage. But he, he trusted everything. Mean. It was all yeah. working. Yeah, it was just all working, and you know I got into. Uh, just some of his release points on his four seam and his cutter and his slider, which were his three main pitches in the first and second half or in, in the second half. And he tightened up his release. point became a lot more consistent. You know, I, I love release point graphs uh, and you, you know, you see the big blob of the first half move down to a tinier little circle in the second half. And it, you know, it proved it in his location. And when you can trust where you're going to be able to locate your pitches, things get a lot better. And he he went from, like, you know, taking a look at his cutter in the first half. Most of his pitches were sitting dead red at, you know, thigh high. And he go to the second half, and now they're going away to right-handers, like right on the edge of the plate, and still thigh high, but still getting a lot more uh, – a, a lot – worst contact and his four seamer same thing it was so bad in the first half it had a twelve forty two OPS against it in the first half with a 18 and a half percent walk rate and it just got crushed and you know you go to the heat map and it's it's he was pumping them in dead red or he was wild around the plate and things got squeezed in the second half you can just tell he was locating better and then once again same story on the slider like the slider went from right in the middle of the plate to more at the top of the zone he was using it you know and i used a series of uh gifs to kind of illustrate this in a at bat against paul goldsmith in the second half and he was using a slider a lot more early in counts to steal strikes and he he made he made paul goldsmith look pretty foolish on four pitches by getting a slider and then getting getting him with a with a, a cutter the cutter moved in on him and then a four seamer that went out on him and he had no chance. And his location had tightened up so much. And Darvis is another one you know we talked about Grinky earlier. I really like Darvish. Like, I've always liked him. I like I like guys that are very open about their process uh both in their successes and their failures. And Darvish very much is like that. Uh, And I think as he's gotten older, as he's gotten older, he has uh, less tinkering with trying to throw, you know, 14 pitches and more focusing on what works and when it works. I think that's the Darvish we saw. We saw just tighter control across the board with his pitches and ridiculous results. And if you Darvish, he had a, you know, yeah, a 2.2 walk rate, his, you know, you look at the, his X stats, his, his X walk percent was like 4.4%. So it's like, I'm not expecting a 2% walk rate again, but if you Darvish is going to start walking only four or 5% of his batters and still keeping the K rate, like that is deadly. And I like Uh that a lot.
1: Yeah. It's very, very nice. It goes, goes to show that um, it's a long season usually, obviously not this year, but um, when they're doing these side sessions, um, you know, they say pitching is an art. These guys, like, are always tinkering with things. They know when things don't feel right. They're watching video, too. So, they're sitting there. That's the whole job of the pitching coach. And these other guys, they're sitting there trying to figure out the new release points, this, that, and the other. Like, as much as people, like, don't like Trevor Bauer, he talks about that stuff all the time. Like, you see his yeah. videos. He's, he's tweaking where he's throwing it from, the spin here, how he's gripping it. These guys are all doing that stuff in one way or another. They just don't talk about it as much as that Trevor Bauer. But this is happening all the time until they find that sweet spot. Just like Darvish did. Like you explained, like I talked about, I, I remember him him saying he was off. He was off. He tweaked something and he felt great. And then the, you could just see it just take off from there. And he was lights out good. And I think this is a real thing that he can continue doing going forward. Now, is he going to have a 2.2 walk percentage and a 36% K rate or K walk rate? Probably not. Let's not get crazy here. But could he have a 4 to 5% walk rate and like a 33% strikeout rate? Sure. Like very, very possible. And that is elite stuff. Absolutely yeah. ridiculous stuff. So he's getting drafted. I'm, I'm a huge fan of it. And I'm going to ask you a question, that a little kind of curveball from where we're talking here. But, you know, you use these pitch mix, um, you know, rolling graphs. We've talked about the release point bl- blocks you have there, the heat maps that you're using, and all these different things that kind of indicate the difference in what's going on. When you're, you know, out season like we're doing now, it's easy to kind of see those things. When you're in season, how do you like what sample size do you feel comfortable going, okay, this is really like with Blake Snell all of a sudden throwing a fastball? How many starts do you need to see that? Um with with you Darvish's um, you know, his release point change, how many starts do you need to see like this is what's happening with, to buy in? So like maybe you can jump ahead of people and grabbing these kind of players.
2: Uh, I, I think you need you need more than a few uh, yeah. things like this is tougher yeah. during season just because from game to game pits mixes can vary quite a bit just according to what lineup they're facing. So you, those things don't always jump out. But, you know, you get you start approaching 10 starts and something is dramatically different, you know, even you know, even over five and whatnot, then yeah, you can start looking at are these changes or are these just, you know, a, a matter of of small samples against, you know, a, a team with a bunch of left handers or uh whatever. Um okay. with, with, I think that there's other things like injury indicators, like with, with, uh like with Snell, that's a easier just because, you know, if I, if I had looked at and I didn't, but if I had looked at at Snell in, you know, after that disastrous June, and had seen, oh, his his velo was slowly rising in April and May, and then slowly dropping, and his fastball and breaking pitch usage kind of flipped on their heads. When there's big flags like that, uh, I I don't think it takes you know too long, but still, it's like. it it really depends on who they're pitching against and Mm -hmm. you know Snell could have you know he could have not been hurt and just could have uh had went away from his 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 slider and curveball because he was facing uh you know he went through a a four game stretch where he was facing some teams that were really bad against fastballs Mm -hmm. so it's it's a lot harder in season but yeah so I I'll need more than a handful of games to kind of make a uh, determination on, okay, something has changed.
1: No, I'm with you. That's why I wanted to ask. Because, like, in hitting, we can kind of – you can feel a little more comfortable with, like, two weeks, three weeks or whatever. But Mm -hmm. that's still, you know, 14, 20 games, give or take. To get that kind of sample size for a pitcher, you're, you're like a quarter of a season, third of a season, maybe half a season, and by yeah. then you're, you're you're hurting somewhere. So it, it's interesting because you, you dig way deeper into pitching than, than I do. I would keep trying to get better at pitching, but the the stuff you, like the Nick Pollocks, so all you guys that are like spores that are hardcore into this kind of analysis on pitchers, I was wondering what your sweet spot was. So it's good to it – makes me feel a little better. I'm not alone thinking you get just pulled the trigger <laughs> that quickly. Yeah. So that's good. Uh, Let's go to your third part in this one. We'll go back to the glass half-empty scenario, guys that overachieved. And, you know, personally, this first one makes me chuckle a bit because I've never been the biggest Jack Flaherty fan. I will be the first to admit what he did last year, especially in the second half, was remarkable. Watching him pitch in his first career playoff game against the Braves was outstanding. Most young kids would have choked in that situation, and he was great. Absolutely amazing. And he didn't have his best stuff that day, and he still pitched phenomenal. So he's a great pitcher. I don't knock that at all. But the expectations around the fantasy world, it's hard for me to buy in, given it's always been hard for me to buy into Shane Bieber. We just talked about and I talked about like four straight episodes now. How All of a sudden, I'm buying into Shane Bieber because I've been convinced. Um, maybe Jack Flaherty is the case. I've talked to like STL Cup of Joe and some Cardinals guys. You're a Cardinals guy. And you guys are all kind of skeptical on Flaherty. Why don't you explain why you're a little skeptical? And it, it might just be Price because he's the sixth pitcher off the board, too.
2: Yeah, uh, that's that's pretty much where my skepticism mostly begins <laughs> and ends is with with price and that re- his ridiculous ADP. Like, uh, uh, I, I hate that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would I would really like if his ADP dropped back into the uh, the the thirty forty range. Would um, you rather Blake Snell or
1: Jack Flaherty?
2: Ah, uh, Jack Flaherty. Okay, I just I had to see. <laughs> just assume my answer is going to be Jack Flaherty until you get the Walker Bueller. So. Gotcha. <laughs> Uh, no, I, it's like I, his second half was so insane with a, you know, a 0.91 ERA and a 0.76 whip. I think uh, it's, it's really easy to, to not buy into any sort of repeat of that. Cause you're like, it can't be that good again. It won't be that good again. But with Flaherty, it is, it's not just if this was his first good year uh where we had seen some big changes i i would be more hesitant to buy in but he kind of had a i mean he had a mini breakout in 2018 too and I, looking at i took a look at just his you know his half by half like first second half of eighteen, first second half of 2019 and for one uh he's had slowly increasing velocity that is always a good indication uh when that thing keeps ticking up and it it's ticked up from every half uh over the past 2 years for another is like just speaking to the development of a young pitcher in in 2018 he had a 28% k rate in the first half jumped up 3 points to 31 in the second half but his walk rate also made a big jump, went from 7.6% to 11.4%. And then in that first half, disastrous half of 2019, you know, 4.64 ERA, his K rate was back down to 26.4%. And that jumped up to 339 for the second half. But his walk rate started off at 7.9%, which was back to the good walk rate of the first half of 2018. And his K rate jumped in the second half, but his walk rate didn't. It dropped by a point and a half six point three percent. So that's another little you know that's another little indicator I like, along with the increase of velocity, and then also his pitch mix changed quite a bit. Uh, he has a nasty slider. Uh, it's got twenty three point three percent swing strike rate that was fifth highest among qualified starters. A forty point six percent K rate that was twelfth. It average exit velocity of 82 miles per hour. It was third lowest, 2.6% solid contact, sixth lowest. Like people can't hit the slider. When they hit the slider, they don't hit it very well. And he he started dropping his four seam in the second half, replacing it with more sliders, more of his two seamers. Uh and then the other thing that I've talked about before, you know, he's a right-handed pitcher. You need you need an extra weapon against against left-handed batters, and I in the he has a really good curveball in my opinion uh, that was not very good in the first half. Uh, he throws it about twenty percent to left-handers versus just five percent against right-handers, and in the first half, it had a four eleven woe bacon uh, woe bond contact, an eleven point one percent barrel rate. And only a 6.7 percent swinging strike. Uh, he threw it. You know, I put up the heat maps. He he was throwing that curveball in the first half, letter high and just a, a little bit away from left-handers. And in the second half, uh, again the the release point changed a little bit. It it tightened up. He raised it up a little bit. He brought it in just a little bit on the horizontal plane. Will Bacon goes from 411 to 261. Barrel goes from 11% to 0%. Swinging strike goes from 6.7% to 15.1%. And instead of going letter high and away, it's just buckling people at the nose. And he, he can use it for swinging strikes. He can use it to get called strikes. And, you know, the the movement tightened up. Uh, it, You know, it wasn't much of a 12 to six. And it's he got back to, like, I can get left-handers back out again. I wish he would use it more against right-handers, to be honest. Uh, but just the, you know, when you're looking at, you know, Jeff Zimmerman is smarter than me and probably everyone listening. Um, (laughs) he, you know, he, he, you know, if you're, he talks about like the, the, you know, the keystones, you know, the the markers that you're looking at for a, a pitcher breakout and, uh, increased velocity, uh, Uh, an increasing k rate lowering walk rate and a change in picks mix yeah you know for the better and you when you get a pitcher that is had a bunch of success and he's you know getting high marks in all those areas it's a lot easier to believe and like you know i'm 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 always i'm always riding that that flaherty hype train uh but i like i said the only thing i don't like about is that price like i I have flared on a whole bunch of teams. Uh, but they're also teams that I, I took uh, that I had him in earlier. Now it's it's hard. Like I I've been in a couple drafts that he's been taken before Bueller. He gets taken into teens. Uh I'm not going to do that because I'm not an absolute crazy person. <laughs> uh you, you know, I, I have him like I have like the top tier pitchers, you know, with Cole and uh, Cole and the Grom verlander scherzer and then kind of walker bueller in his like own like little mini tier and then then flaherty you know snell clevenger bieber those type guys you know grouped a little closer together but uh i i have flaherty comfortable with it, but that draft price is brutal like you you got you have to believe like that's that that's kind of the thing i mean i still believe but man you got to pull the trigger on him in the second round if you want him
1: yeah, no, you have to really kind of have some conviction to get Jack Flaherty. Because I'm with you, like the stuff, watching him was outstanding. I'm, I'm kind of with you, like that draft price, just I, I can't do it. And that was one of the things that scared me off of Bieber. Bieber had some other things that scared me. Like you, way too much of the plate that that scares me a lot. But with Flaherty, he's he's filthy. He's darn filthy. There's no no doubt about that. He's got one heck of a Twitter game. So... Not yeah, fall he's got some either. red ass in him, too. And I always like oh, that in man. my pitcher so. <laughs> yeah. no, there's no backing down with Jack Flaherty. So, I'm a big, <laughs> big fan of that. Like, you want to hit one 420 feet? Get ready for your ear hole. Like, I'm a big yeah, fan of that I kind sure. of stuff. Like, bring it. <laughs> uh, that's old school baseball. I'm a fan of that. But um, a couple more guys here. We talked to Frankie Montas earlier. And we kind of talked to Jose Barrios earlier. You got any quick hitters on uh, on Jose Barrios, who um, is one of the big
2: differential guys? Uh, man, I just... Like, I don't understand. Like, Jose Barrios is what Jose Barrios is. Like, we, yep. you know, 2017, starting pitcher 33, 2018, starting pitcher 35, 2019, starting pitcher 35. But he's being taken as, uh, you know, like a, around an 80 80 is as starting pitcher 21. Yep, and I don't understand why um, the projection systems, you know, agree with me. They seem as a guy that's going to have a, a four ERA and a a whip over one two one two you know one two four for ATC and one two nine for Steamer, and like I honestly I, I don't get it. Um, I I think the K rate kind of is what it is. Uh, it was you know, it was 23% last year, uh, which was down 2 points from 2018. And you know, it was it, it did jump up in the second half. Like it it jumped up like 4 points. He had a 25% K rate in the second half. But you know, looking at like Sierra indicators, uh, he's he's got a really low walk rate. And so Sierra's going to like that at 6.1 walk rate. But you know, he he's we talked about the K rate, but he's got a 42% ground ball rate. And that was actually a career high, but it was still 60th among qualified starting pitchers. So I just, it's, he's one of those, he's, he gets drafted like a, you know, an, an SP, you know, two or three. And I just see him more as a, 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 a a three best case and really like a four. And that's, that's what he's given up for, for three years. And until, until something changes I, I don't see reason to move him up uh spring training there you know there was some talk uh, you know the brief spring training there you know he had a he had a little velo boost and there was talk that you know maybe he had he had a, had himself a new curveball so maybe I guess but barring him like uh, pulling something out of his back pocket that we don't know about I just I don't see where. He's really going to change from what we've seen before.
1: I, I completely agree. Like, he's a good pitcher. He's a really good pitcher. He's not a yeah. he's not an SP twenty one, like you said. He's more of a thirty, and he's going to get you good ratios. Not great. He's just not going to crush you most of the time. But for me, I, I think what people are seeing with him is he's an innings eater. One hundred ninety two innings, two hundred innings. You know, projected to have one ninety seven to two hundred, give or take. Like, he's going to eat innings up, which could be tremendous when you are looking for that. Uh, accumulating stats and that's kind of what helps him out. Um never a strikeout guy. I like to draft strikeout guys. That's just my thing. Everyone's different. Um if I'm not drafting a strikeout guy, it's like a Kyle Hendricks because he's drafted so much later than Jose Barrios. Stuff like that. Um I think you can call me crazy if you want. I'm not the biggest Miles Mikolas fan, but I could see Miles Mikolas if he gets back to normal being a similar to a Jose Barrios going a lot
2: later in a draft. Yeah.
1: So, little things like that which makes it just hard to pay for him.
2: Yeah, I agree. I mean, you know, looking at his ADP, like he's, you know, he's going, I, I, you know, he's going around Bauer, and I, you know, I'm not a monster Bauer guy because I just don't know what Bauer I'm going to get from year to year, or whether he's going to throw a pitch over the center field, but he's going before Brandon Woodruff and yep. and Frankie Montes. and, yep, and that, Jesus like, like, That's just crazy talk to me. Yep. Like I, I've, I, I've seen. I don't see the upside, but like you said, the innings are great. Like he's going to give you a lot of innings of some pretty okay stats, but I I think I have a good idea of what those stats are going to be. And I would rather look elsewhere for that price.
1: All right. Last guy you had on here was Frankie Montas. We, we talked about him earlier. We've talked about a few times because we're obviously big fans of Frankie Montas. I think that's pretty clear by now. We agree that splitter change was absolutely ridiculous and that was a big, big factor to him taking the next step. I try to remind people that some of them might forget he was one of their top pitching prospects at one time. So it's not like a fluke that he was a good pitcher. He yeah. actually is good. But developing that pitch, we talk about it with the Paddocks and the Lucchesis and all these young guys that have good stuff. It's just like, find one more pitch. Just mm-hmm. do that and you're going to be ridiculous. Frankie Montas did that. So real quick, what do you have on him that uh, makes you so excited?
2: Yeah, it man, it's the splitty. It's like, it, it's... Like you said, he was a he was a top prospect, but like the guys you mentioned before, the Padres, uh, another Padre, Denelson, it's yep. he had he had high nineties heat, and he had a really good wipeout slider, and he had nothing else. And those guys eventually land up in the bullpen more likely than not, and that's kind of what we saw in his first two years, uh, you know, of limited action with the A's. It, it's just. A lot, you could see that guy's going to the bullpen and he might be really good in the bullpen, but you usually can't get away with that limited a pits mix. No matter if you're throwing 99, one hundred. like you need something else. Like you need something to give left handers that move the other direction. And he didn't have that. And now that split, it's like not always the split finger nasty, but it just pairs so well with his fastballs and his slider and like we were talking about like i i I can't imagine you know look up you know look up some pitching ninja uh gifts on frankie some frankie montes overlays you know he's got he's got some of that you know 100 mile per hour heat and the slider or the slider and the splitter slider and splitter are both coming at you you know 87 80 miles per hour 88 miles per hour they're going different directions though, and they look like they're the same pitch at the decision point for the batters, and you just gotta figure out which one is which, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and it, that's it very tough to do. Cool. Yeah, man, it's <laughs> the the uh, you know we talk about pitch tunneling and whatnot. It's like, man, those uh, you know I used a couple of graphics in the piece, but it's you know it's easy for kind of anyone to see that uh, where like why those pitches are so deceptive and uh, you know how little time a batter has like especially if you know he's got he has 100 mile per hour heat like if you're sitting on one of the breaking pitches and thinking okay I'm gonna figure out if it's a slider or the split finger and I'm gonna nail it and then he throws 99 like good luck you have no chance and you know really the biggest downside with Montes is the lack of a track record because of the PD suspension, which, you know, like we mentioned, like the PDs didn't give him a split finger. So mm-hmm. I'm not like worried that he's going to come back and, uh, he's, you know, he's not on the juice and he, you know, he's going to be much worse. My, my problem is, is that the split finger kind of goes in and out for some people. Uh, you know, it's not. You know, it's it's hard to always be on point with it. From H- year ask to Tanaka
1: here. about that.
2: Yeah, Masahiro ex- Tanaka <laughs> is like the perfect example. When the split finger is working, he was unhittable, mm-hmm. and you know he loses it, and his project production drops way off. So, if we had had an entire year of Montes, like you know master of the split finger and it working all year, it'd be like his draft price this year would be ridiculous uh, for one thing. Uh, yes. So that's like the, like, that's the knock against him. We only have 96 innings of him being this pitcher, but he plays for a pretty smart organization and they like, it's pretty obvious what the results are. Like I have a feeling that's going to be a focus. Like, you know, he completely went from a ticketed to the bullpen to an elite starter and everybody knows why. So I have to think they're going to be very focused on keeping him on that track. So, yeah, I, I, I think this is the, the, you know, even in a shortened season uh, if we get the same Montes that we got last year prior to the suspension, like this is the last year to get him for cheap.
1: Yeah. I'm with you. He's going to climb up. He'll be in that Jack Flaherty Bieber price hike. I can see it coming a mile Absolutely. away. So yeah. I'm with you there. Um we'll I'm going to have you on again in a, in a week or two. We're going to talk your your DH and we'll get your uh, your other work you're doing. We'll talk that up. But otherwise, um I don't want to keep you all night and uh, I got a, a pregnant wife that's going to want to I have dinner here pretty soon. So um let's get yeah. to some listener let's get to some listener questions and we'll uh, we'll chat it up some more here in another week or two. But Rob D Pietro at Deadpool hitter has a couple of questions for us. First one, Thoughts on fringe rotation, possible six starter types like Matt injuries, Ross Stripling and Corbin Burns.
2: Yeah. So I am, I am, uh, I'm in on like this type of player in general, especially, you know, I was already uh, doing a lot of uh, bullpen building with my rosters pre pandemic. Mm-hmm. And you know now it's like, like you take Stripling for example. Yeah, he's he's not a starter. He's uh, you know he's a a fringe starter. Uh, that deal to the Angels was that got nixed was devastating. God, I, I love that. I got so excited when I saw that trade. I was that was like, so oh, good yeah. for everybody involved. This is the year finally, Ross Stripling, baby. Uh, but I I know he's going to get used. Like Mm -hmm. I I have no questions about his his usage rate, Uh, you know he had 122 innings in 2018, 93 innings last year, Uh, you know 21 starts followed by 15 starts last year, 25% K rate. He plays for what is likely to be one of the best teams in baseball, and you know looking at the starting staff in front of him, uh, it's Kershaw, Bueller, Price. Julio and Alex Wood. Uh, would anyone bet that that's going to be the starting rotation for the entire year? <laughs> uh, no, big no, big no. <laughs> I wouldn't. Um, like, I mean, the, I mean, Alex Wood obviously is going to get hurt because that's what Alex Wood does. Uh, David Price, like probably going to get hurt or miss some time. And, you know, even Kershaw, like Bueller's the only lock that I have in that rotation. Mm-hmm. And so I think that Stripling's going to get his starts, and even when he's not getting his starts, he's going to get plenty of work. He's, you know, he's he's the fireman role. He's going to go, uh, man. I you kill with him. Uh, my home league is a points league, and we have we have like we have a start limit per week, and but we have uh, relief specific relief pitcher slots. And man, I used to just crush people with Stripling, just moving him in and out, and him picking up these like two point two inning wins with with four or five Ks, and it not counting against my start totals. Yeah, so I have a I have a soft spot uh, for Stripling. So yeah, I I like guys that I you know in this bizarro year of uh, we don't know how uh, you know we don't know how usage is going to go for starters as much, but. I'm more confident in like the more prime bullpen guys. Like, I think Stripling's going to get his innings.
1: Yeah, I don't hate it at all. I think it's something to be said about that. Our uh, boy JB Branson from Roto Ballers got the Frank and Ace strategy, oh, yeah. which I think is, is genius. So some of these guys can could have a big, big effect here, especially early on when guys aren't as ramped up, more six starters and stuff like that. There's a lot, a lot of possibilities there. So I definitely think they can keep an eye there. There's a handful of guys from each squad that uh, we can definitely peek at for sure. The other question from Rob DiPietro: Pietro, uh do you have any thoughts on Brian Abreu and if he is a candidate to start games for Houston? Uh thanks. I for one I'm not 100% sure on that cuz they're pretty loaded as it is, but do you have any thoughts on Brian
2: Abreu? Yeah, I would you know, I was I was excited to, you know, he I was excited when he heard that he had a realistic, you know, the coaches came out and said he had a realistic chance of competing for the fifth starter spot. But right now it's you know the the Astros are running out Verlander, Grinky, McCullers, Jose Urkitty, and uh Josh James is who roster resource has them uh starting right now. Uh, I had I have a Brayu stash on a couple of like deep dynasty teams, and mm-hmm. uh I I kind of thought my first value from him would be as a bullpen guy. So hearing that he might get a chance at starting is very exciting. But if he's not going to be a starter, uh, I I don't care for him as much. Mostly because Ryan Presley is you know the bullpen guy, non closer that you want out of the Astros, and I just I'm not sure Abreu will get as many opportunities. But he has filthy stuff. Uh, he he is a, a a you know in the minors was a thirty to forty percent K guy. Uh, he, you know, he had a brief, he had, hits like nine innings for the big club this year and had a, I think he had a 30% K rate. And more importantly, he finally dropped his walks down. Uh, he faced 32 batters last year. He only walked three, uh, to 13 Ks. It was 3.1 per nine and then he came, you know, in his limited time in spring training this year, he, he kind of did the same thing. He, the, the walk stayed at, at, at three per nine. So that's, that's appealing. Like I really like him for the long-term future. He's got, he, he sits 95 and he's got a devastating slider and curve that are both already above average and could both end up being plus. So, and he pitches for a very smart organization that I assume will develop him, uh, well, but th- like it, I, I, I mean, his ADP is nothing like, you know, yeah. it's throw away. Like if, if you want to stash him for a, a little bit just to see if he gets named a starter, uh, then yeah, uh, I, I can do that. And then you, if you, you can dump him if you need to be, if, uh, he ends up going into bullpen, But you know he uh, he also has uh, Lance McCullers as a starter on the Astros, and you know going back to guys, I'm not going to bet on pitching an entire year. He is definitely on that list.
1: Yeah, you got McCullers, and then as much as I like Arcidi's and James, I like them both
2: value wise and upside wise.
1: They're young; they could have a hit a roadblock, give a little chance for Abreu. That's how Arcidi got chances last year, and James has got chances before. So. He might not be a guy to draft, but he might be more of a guy to get ready to pick up to uh, see how that's going. So I, I, I could see that angle the way you talked about it there. Most definitely. All right. That'll wrap us up for tonight's episode, Nick, before we take off, remind everybody where they can find you and what you got coming up over at Roto Yes. Yeah.
2: So you can find me on Twitter at, at not Burt Reynolds, it's N T underscore Burt Reynolds. Uh, there's not a lot of us. I don't think, <laughs> um and, and then uh yeah I, I i do some i do some predominantly dynasty work over at pitcher list and we're gonna have we recently did a us the dynasty team did a mock draft on uh we each took for the the amateur draft coming up we each took like a handful of teams and drafted in their stead, so we'll have some stuff coming out on that. And for Roto Baller, uh, I write a lot there. Uh, I have I have the Sierra pieces like you mentioned and the last Sierra one in the Sierra series will be coming out here in probably a day or so. And then on from there, I have a, a couple different things with looking at trying to, I, I took the, you know, I separated out, you know, kind of like we mentioned earlier, I separated out, uh, all the National League pitchers, how they did against hitters, and how they did against pitchers, to look at the discrepancies, and then, but then I also kind of came up with my Franken-like replacement likely replacement player as my dogs freak out in the background. Hey, uh, to so to I, 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 I I plugged in some replacement stats and just to see how much their value would actually change. So I'm gonna have some stuff coming out out on that too.
1: Awesome. Looking forward to it. Like I said, we'll, we'll chat again here in, in a week or two and we'll, uh, we'll talk about the DHS and all that fun stuff. Cause I love sitting here talking to you. I love listening to you. You have a lot of, a wealth of knowledge, a wealth of knowledge. Thank so you. no, I appreciate it. Uh, thanks for joining me again tonight. I, I seriously, I'm looking forward to doing it again in a few
2: weeks. Absolutely. It was a lot of fun. Thanks Bubba.
1: All right, everybody. This was Bench with Bubba episode 292 with Nicholas Gott of Rotoballer pitcher list. And most importantly, he's not Burt Reynolds. We'll catch you guys <laughs> later.